You may be seated. My name is um, Makel Alney Hash. Um, go ahead, get it out. <laughs> and my nickname is Happy. Several years ago, um, this isn't hard to believe, but it was 10 years ago uh, when we moved into this building. Uh, I got to share some thoughts at a worship service one day, and I shared a little bit of a story about um, my background. because, And it's really ironic this morning, the, the message here is about three kinds of people. And I can't think of a more appropriate story to tell you to kick this off this morning than this one. And some of you have heard it before, and if you have, just humor me. But you can imagine with a name like Mako Alney Hash and a nickname like Happy, growing up in the 60s, <laughs> um, life was rough for a few things for me, especially as I got older. And I really worried about this as I got to be an older man in the business world. I'm thinking, who in the world is going to want to hire Happy Hash? <laughs> But as it turned out, one day I was working up in northern Virginia with a phone company, and I came into a, a business meeting about 7.30 in the morning, and my boss had called an early meeting with me and this other gentleman. And when I walked in the room, and I want to tell you, first of all, I always wondered whether there would ever be a chance that maybe my name might make a difference, that there might be a way they could be used that would really be to my advantage. Well, here it was. When I walked into that room, my boss is sitting behind his desk, and he looks up, and here's the other guy sitting right beside him. And he says, well, 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 here we sit, fat, dumb, and happy. <laughs> and immediately, I didn't even have to think for a second. I looked right at him and said, I know which one I am. <laughs> he, in turn, looks down at his stomach and looks at the other guy, and he says, I guess I have been gaining a little weight, haven't I? <laughs> Oh, me. <laughs> it is an honor to be able to come to you this morning and share some thoughts with you about things that I believe can make a huge difference in our lives. If we will understand these three principles, these three concepts, these three kinds of people, they would, these concepts will share with me. Katie and I were talking away to church 48 years ago. And they're still just as clear and just as real today as they were 48 years ago. Please pray with me that during this service, God will be glorified and his word will stir our hearts to become the kind of people that he wants us to be. I am absolutely certain that every person in this room fits into one of these three categories or kinds of people. Might as well go ahead and get this out now because I know what's going to happen. Uh, this Sunday when you leave here and you're asked, what was the message about? You're not going to have to sit around and think, oh, I'm not too sure. I don't know. It was too many. I can't remember. You can honestly say, it was about you and the kind of person you are, according to the Scriptures. 
So let's dig into this. Three kinds of people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, I'm not going to go all the way back to 10, but, but I wanted you to see it, get a sense of what was going on in this whole passage. Is he, Paul weaves in the concept of the Holy Spirit and the, and the purpose and his power in, in life. In verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Just a couple observations I want to make to you right off the bat. We ought to always ask any time you're dealing with any passage of Scripture, who is it being written to? What was this all about? I underline a couple things there. It says, we... Now, we, so obviously there's some connection to a group or some some purpose to that. And if you went back to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, listen to this. And I can really relate to this this morning for a couple of reasons. I'll tell you as we go through this. When I came to you, brethren, brethren, Christians, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I would add an upset stomach. <laughs> and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Wow. So the we are believers. He was writing to the Corinthian believers. And he might as well have been writing to us. Let's break this down a little further. Let's set the stage. First of all, we know the letter is written to Christians. And he says they are recipients. We're going to receive something. (laughs) He says we're going to receive the spirit who is from God not the spirit from the world. I couldn't help but think in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That tells me that Christians who've trusted Christ are under new management. Jesus also said that when he left to go to heaven, he's going to send the helper, the spirit of truth, And the purpose was to guide and to teach us how to glorify God. This one really hit me. Because as you think about this, um, there are some sources of direction strength. There's sources of guidance. There's sources of power. And he lays those out in that passage we just looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says... We've received the spirit who is from God, not the spirit from the world, because the spirit from the world is taught by human wisdom, but the spirit of God teaches about the things of God. First Corinthians 3, verse 16, just a few verses after the ones we read here this morning, it says, Do you not know that you, as a believer, 
are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? (laughs) So the question comes, which way do we want to live? Do we want to follow the Spirit of this world or the Spirit of God? The answer to that question determines the kind of person that you're going to be. Let's take a look at these three people, these three kinds of people that are talked about in the verses we just read. And now they really start boring down in detail very specifically. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we read about the natural man. And then in verse 15, the spiritual man. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, the carnal man, the fleshly man. Let's break each one down. The Scripture says, But a natural man does not accept the things of God, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Wow. In that little diagram right there, and you're going to see this little circle in a lot of places as we go through this message this morning. That circle represents the sphere of your life. And in the diagram, the little S there represents self. And it's sitting on the throne of the life, and it's in charge. And the cross, which is outside the life, is represented God. And specifically, in this case, it's Christ and the Holy Spirit. We know that God is in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you really, they're all three God. God has chosen to reveal himself that way in history and eternity. And here it represents God. But I want to, because there are so many references to Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm really going to focus in on those two persons of the Trinity as we go through this message today. The dots represent the decisions or the actions resulting in conflict, tension, frustration, And we're going to talk a little bit about what some of those interests might be. Let's go to the next. This life is a self-directed life. Christ, the Holy Spirit, are outside the life. And the things of God, as of the Spirit of God, are not accepted. They are viewed as foolishness. And thirdly, they can't be they can't understand them. And it says because of the things that they can understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Well, my father used to be an auctioneer, and so I'm I'm a little familiar with uh, trying to set values on things. That's really what an appraisal is. You're trying to set a, a value. You're trying to determine what something's worth, what the quantity is. In this case, he's saying that natural men have no godly reference point for making a spiritual appraisal. And I would, I would submit to you, it's kind of like they don't have the tuner. For those of you who know anything about electronics, you know, in a TV set today, um, I used to have one when I was a boy that was black and white. <laughs> that wasn't just on the outside. <laughs> 
And in that, that TV set, it, it always just amazed me that it could take waves out of the air and, and, and you got a picture that came through this set. But you know that today that same set won't work on the networks that we have today because now you need a digital signal, not an analog signal. So you have to have the right components, the right tuner to be able to dial in to be able to see the picture. Just as the human ear cannot hear or decipher high-frequency radio waves, deaf people cannot judge the quality of an orchestra. Analog TVs can't pick up the HD signals. Natural men are not capable of judging things of the Spirit of God. They don't have the equipment. Let's go to the next one. The spiritual man. But who is spiritual? But he who is spiritual appraises all things. There's that word again, appraises. Yet he himself is appraised by no one, for we have the mind of Christ. In this diagram, if you notice the difference from the last one, uh, where is the cross in this one as opposed to last time? It's in the circle, in the sphere, and it's on the throne. And I'll also submit to you that represents the control center. He provides balance, stability. When Christ is in a life, his spirit allows us to properly appraise or value things, which the natural man cannot do. The spiritual man has the mind of Christ as his guide and as his power source. John 15, I think, is an absolutely beautiful passage that gives another picture of this, the concepts that are being taught here. Listen to this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me... You can't do anything. Now, can you imagine, Katie, don't listen. (laughs) Can you imagine me going home today, stopping by the store, buying some apples and bringing them home and tying them to a tree out in front of my house and then taking my wife out to show her what a beautiful apples I'd grown? (laughs) You'd be coming to the hospital to visit me shortly after that. (laughs) In like manner, you cannot tie the fruit of the Spirit to your life. It's an inside job. Trusting Christ is a one-time event. That's what this is talking about here now. Trusting Him and Him alone is a one-time event. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Remember we just talked about it a few minutes ago. And he who believes, I love the gospel of John is just so rich. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not believe the Son does not have life. The wrath of God abides on him. Of course, one of my favorite is John 3.16. God is the giver. We are the receiver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Perhaps one of Paul's best examples of this same concept is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. Hmm. And the real life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. One last point on this. Paul, in so many places, brings this picture out time and time again. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. (laughs) Kind of get the picture? In the spiritual man, Christ is in the life. What does a Christ-centered life look like? Well, here's some, just a few examples. Um, it's a life is filled with God's Spirit. Now, what do I mean filled? The term filled in Ephesians 5.18 talks about being controlled or empowered by. The spiritual man trusts and obeys God. He has a desire to introduce others to Christ. He has an effective prayer life. He understands God's word and actually has the mind of Christ. When that happens, there is some fruit produced that didn't get tied to the tree. (laughs) Look at these. As you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you notice you can't buy any of those at the store. Not one of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I think there's one missing. What's the last one? Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) Thank you. Self-control. And then coffee. (laughs) Self-control. Of course, none of us have any problem with that one. except on the way to church. So, it's interesting here, the last little note at the bottom says, interests are directed by Christ resulting in pardon. Jesus Christ is the only one who can pardon you from the ultimate offense of rebelling against God. He's the only one that can give you peace that's everlasting, the one that gives you peace that passes all understanding because it's peace with God and the peace of God. And he's the only one that can give you the ultimate purpose because you know where you're going forever. And finally, the power to live a life that's different from anything the world has to offer. So how do we get from natural to spiritual? Great question. I'm glad you asked. It's called conversion. I'd like to take just a few minutes, if I could, um, and share how that happened for me. Let me start by saying that um, I've always thought of my life as having three basic parts. There was the physical part, a mental, and spiritual. I grew up here in Culpeper County where I learned to work hard and play hard at everything that I ever did especially um, when it came to things like 
doing stuff with my family and my friends and sports. Those were the primary interests of my life. My dad was a professional baseball player. He was a pitcher with the Boston Red Sox in 1940 and 41. Go Sox. And as you can imagine, he had a tremendous influence on my life in terms of competitive sports. He also taught me and my brothers about how to fish and how to hunt and how to enjoy the the great outdoors. All in all, I'd have to tell you, I had a very, very awesome childhood. But as I reflect back on this now, I realize that most of the relationships that I had were centered around what was good for me and what I was going to get out of them. Pretty sad, huh? Mentally, I was driven to achieve. I wanted to learn a lot of things, but found myself cramming information in my head so I could get a better grade than my buddies. One of them sitting right over there. You imagine going to school with somebody from first grade through two years of college. Um, get a better job. To get a different car. You know, I wanted things. I wanted to achieve something. But also I wanted to win. In 1968, I finished high school, and four years later, a real miracle took place. I graduated from Virginia Tech with a degree in electrical engineering. And I'll confess that hitting a baseball was a lot more fun than hitting the books. (laughs) Through these things, I was developing physically and mentally, but not much was happening to me spiritually. There was no doubt in my mind that there was a supernatural being of some kind who had created the the world and everything in it, including me, and that there was a purpose for my life. In fact, when I was 12, I joined a church because I wanted to know more about God and his purpose for me. And I, I wanted to have a consistent personal relationship with him. However, it seemed like I only called on God when I ran into problems I couldn't handle myself. It used to really bug me that God was so real to me in times of physical injury. I actually was playing basketball at Copper Crown County High School one day and I went to dive for a ball that was going out of bounds, and another guy went to swipe at it, and his hand went off the ball and went right into this eye right here. And I I swear, I think he went behind my eyeball. It was unbelievable how horrible it was. And when I hit the floor, guess what the first thing I cried out? Oh, God, help me. And I remember when I opened my eyes, it was darkness. And I blinked a couple times, and I prayed that again. And when I opened my eyes the next time, there was a little bit of light. And I, I remember after that, that occurrence, what is that all about? How come God is so real to me in times like that? But when things are going well, I don't need him. Exam time was another great time. <laughs> wow. And yet, when things were going smoothly, I didn't need his help. You could just say the spirit of the world had a major influence in my life and how I viewed life. I sincerely wanted to have a faith which I was not ashamed, was afraid of what it might cost me. 
Besides, I didn't think anyone could really be sure about anything spiritual. Well, to my surprise, during my sophomore year at college, I came across some young people who did know. In fact, they were so excited about their answers that they found in the Bible that they wanted to share their faith with everyone they could talk to, including me. In January of 1971, I went to a retreat with these young people, and they told me that God loved me and that there really was a plan for my life and that he'd made a way for me to have a personal relationship with him. And on January 31st, 1971, I realized that Jesus Christ was God, that he loved me so much that he had given his life on the cross as a payment for my rebellion. And that he proved he was who he was by his resurrection from the dead. I realized that there was no other way, no other name, named among heaven by which I would be saved other than his. By trusting in him, I was given the right to become a child of God. And I want, the reason these chairs are sitting here right now, I want to make sure you had a clear picture in your mind what this involves. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go to the next slide because I think it's really important that you get this. These two chairs right here represented the natural man and the spiritual man. Before January 31st, 1971, this chair represented my life. It was all about me. Everything I was trusting in, everything that mattered to me was in this chair. And if I had any hopes to get into heaven, I was really praying that the good was going to outweigh the bad. And so most of my, all of my early life, I sat in this chair. This chair represents Jesus Christ and him alone, nothing else. On January 31st, 1971, he invited me to sit in this chair. That's what that's about. The assurance that I now have of God's love for me has affected every area of my life. And it's just wonderful to know that I have a relationship with him the last 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just an hour on Sunday morning. And the inner peace that comes with this is unbelievable. And now I have a relationship with him that lasts through the good times and the bad. Well, we've taken a look at those first two. In the next few minutes, I'm going to try to give you a summation of this next dimension, the carnal man. What's the other word that's used here? Carnal? Fleshly. First Corinthians 3, 1 to 3 says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, carnal, meat, <laughs> 
as the infants in Christ. I gave you milk not to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. But since there is jealousy and strife among you, are, not, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Notice the reinforcement we talked about earlier, what the we was when we started this discussion this morning, the believers. He takes all doubt away from it here. It says, and I, brethren, family members, Christians, couldn't speak to you as spiritual men. I had to speak to you as men of flesh, carnal men, men influenced and controlled by, remember that other category, the spirit of the world? And he also talked about how this idea of, i got to back up just one second here, because I think it's very important you see this too. Isn't it interesting he starts off saying, I gave you milk to drink. See, he'd been there before. He'd been to Corinth before, and had shared things with him. And he gave it to him as if he was feeding babies. And he says, and I understand, that's the way it should be. Brand new Christian, your baby, you need basic stuff first, and then you need to grow. But look at the latter part of the verse. See, the first part has to do with weakness, like infants, babes, etc., because you couldn't handle any more than that. But the latter part, he just says, you're jealous, jealousy and strife is among you. You're not, aren't you acting flesh? Are you not walking like mere men? That's the natural man. You're acting like natural people. Christ is in your life. What are you doing? Let's go to the next one. In this life, notice the difference between this one and the spiritual man and the spiritual man who was in charge. Christ. In the carnal man who's in charge, self. Now, look at the fruit of the Spirit in this particular category. When the life is self-centered, look at some of these attributes. And, and boy, we could add a lot more, couldn't we? In this life, yeah, Christ is in the life, but self has taken charge again. Remember the other illustration, the first one, Christ is a, inviting him in as a one-time decision. This is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day decision as to who's going to be on the throne. And when you are on the throne, these are some of the attitudes and actions can develop. Self-centeredness, legalistic attitudes, impure thoughts, jealousy, guilt. Of course, I know nobody in here is worried about anything. None of you are discouraged. And there's not a critical spirit in the room. No desire for for witnessing. No desire for Bible study. Loss of love for God and for others. Wow. And if you say your life doesn't fit into this every now and then, you're lying. And you know how I know you're lying? Even the Apostle Paul, listen to what he has to say here. (laughs) In Romans chapter 7, this is the man who wrote all the other things we've just been looking at in Corinthians. He's the one that's encouraging and exhorting them. Guess what he says here? (laughs) We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. There it is again. 
sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very things that I hate. What is wrong with me? I just paraphrase that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, and that that is in my flesh. For the willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. What? I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And then this this just blows me away. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who wrote all this other stuff to the Corinthians and encouraged him, guess what he says to who will, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he answers his own question. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. It's been done. So how do believers move from carnal to spiritual? First part of this message today was for people sitting in this room that don't have a clue who Jesus is. Who would like to know? This part of this is for the rest of us who have trusted Christ. We fall into that circle on the left when we take charge. The songs, you could not have picked better songs this morning to sing about the very point that's, that's being pictured on this screen. So how do you do this? This is how. The Holy Spirit makes men spiritual. The Holy Spirit makes you a Christian in the first place, and he's the only one that can help make you a spiritual man or woman. The spiritual man is filled, that is controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. How? By faith. A couple steps, though, are important. You can't just willy-nilly do this. You have to desire to be to be filled. You have to desire to want to be a spiritual person. Well, how do you know that? Because... Even on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, God, Jesus said, Blessed are those of you who are thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you'll be satisfied. If you're hungry, he'll meet you where you are. Confess your sin. And what does that mean? Repent. Acknowledge what, what you've done. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And guess what? That's all. Not just the ones you've done in the past. It's the ones that are going to happen tomorrow. And then you can thank him. If you really think about it, isn't that what faith is? Thanking God for something that he says is true, and then now you can claim? Speaking of claiming. Once that you've done those first two things, and you've been acknowledged to him, God, I really don't like this. I don't like being in charge here. Would you please take over again? Then there's a command and a promise that you need to realize you can claim every moment, every day. You, when you, you know when you're in charge. The first of the command is Ephesians 5.18. He says, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. But be filled. That's be being filled. It's a, a many times that we need to do this. To be controlled and empowered by the, his spirit. And in 1 John 5, now if you know that's a command, Ephesians 5, 18, 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you think he wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Duh. <laughs> yes. 
And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests which we've asked from him. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit, and he's promised you he's going he's to do that when you ask. Now, let's see if this even resonates with you at all. This is a prayer that I pray many times a day, and it ought to be many more. <laughs> Dear Father, Lord Jesus, I need you. I acknowledge that I've been in control of my life. As a result, I've sinned against you again. (laughs) Thank you for forgiving me through Christ's death on the cross. I now yield to Christ again to take control of the throne of my life. Please fill me with your spirit as you commanded me and as you promised you'd do if I ask. I pray this in the name of Jesus and as an expression of my faith, I now thank you for taking control of my life and for empowering me with your spirit. Three kinds of people. Which one are you? Let's pray. Father, how much we want to be spiritual men and women, how much we want to have our lives really count for the kingdom. And you know, Lord, we are so weak and we give up so easily. Please help us. In this room today, if there are people here who have never trusted Christ, they can't walk out of here now and say they don't know how. And for those of us in this room who are believers, who have been walking as carnal Christians, we would ask you to help us not even leave our seats right now until we confess before you our need for your spirit to take control again. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.